Welcome to the Otaku Melancholy Podcast, the anime and otaku culture podcast that's thankful just to have you with us. My name is Matt, and I will be joined by no one today because Audrey is off this week for reasons that are pretty, pretty important. She uh, just honestly had a really, really bad week, and with the holidays and everything that have uh, come and transpired, who could blame her? I certainly couldn't, so uh, I'm not going to. So it's just going to be me for this episode, and I really did not know what to do for this episode. I'm going to be quite honest with you, listener. Even now, I don't know fully what I'm doing. The solution that I came to this was maybe almost yesterday. It was yesterday. Why am I so confused about where time is placed? I was sitting down, and I have read manga a lot on my phone because it's it's a lot easier for some things. Some things being viciously out of print, almost maliciously out of print, if you can believe it. And I was reading some stuff on my phone, and I had talked earlier to my roommate that I didn't know what I was going to do this week for the podcast because Audrey wasn't going to be available. We were going to cover the Tatami Time Machine Blues. But Audrey couldn't make it, and I said, well, I don't want to keep skipping weeks like this and keep making excuses. We were already late last week, and I just don't want to do that because... I really love doing this podcast, and I love talking to you guys. It's so much fun to do this and just be there and, you know, just talk. It's nice to talk about things we're passionate about. So my roommate actually said, well, why don't you just talk about whatever manga you're reading? And the manga that I was reading, uh, dear listener, was Ranma One Half, which I was maybe 40 chapters into, which is because it is Ranma One Half would mean that I was one-tenth of the way into it. It's like a 400-chapter manga. If you don't know the premise of Ranma one-half, then, I mean, what are you doing? It's Ranma one-half. It's, 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 you know, you know, you know, gender gender flopping martial arts. There you go. There's your, there's your short summary if you need one. But I said, I don't know about that. I don't really feel like I can talk about a manga I'm only 40 chapters into. I'm enjoying it. But I enjoy all of Rumiko Takahashi's works generally. And that's when it struck me. Why don't I talk about my favorite Rumiko Takahashi work? And why don't I talk a little, just dab a little, just a little dab of Rumiko Takahashi herself? Because I do absolutely adore all of her works. And so that's what we're going to be doing. And if you're curious, uh, and why would you be curious? I'm assuming you're listening to this podcast under a pretense that you can read. And since you can read, you'll know that this podcast episode is about Meisoni Koku in some shape, form, or fashion. And that is my favorite Rumiko Takahashi manga. It is also one of my top ten favorite manga in general. And I always have to preface that. Are we an anime podcast or what are we? Because it feels like lately we are just an otaku culture podcast because we're talking about light novels. We're talking about visual novels. We are almost skirting around the topic of anime for some reason. I think it's because we don't want listeners. Because every time we do an episode on something that is not anime related, it's just, yeah, that's cool, guys. Uh, Go be weebs somewhere else so nobody listens. But hey, it's all about having fun about what you're talking about. And hey, Meisoni Koku has an anime. If you want to go and find it, you can do so. I would applaud you to do so. I have it conveniently ready and at my disposal, but... I just I just haven't gotten around to it. 96 episodes of an anime feels a whole lot thicker than 150 uh, chapters of a manga, which is where Meisoni Koku kind of resides with its chapters and all that. But they're really easy to read through and go through, at least in my humble opinion. So with that, you should know that there will be no spoilers in this podcast, mostly for the fact that I would like for you to read Meisoni Koku. It's readily available when via viz they have these special collector's editions versions of the uh of the manga i don't know what really makes them collectors they they've got nice covers and nice jackets and they're really nice and they're they're pretty neat i think they're the cover art on them is simply gorgeous but i think that uh takahashi's uh, art is generally gorgeous and it has that sort of style that is it's a little bit just synonymous with anime and manga in my mind because when I was a young lad, a young lad who was bright and bushy-tailed at the f- at the prospect of Pokemon, I I bought the base. I'm, I don't know. I'm tr- I'm dancing on the point to just basically say that 
when I was a young lad, Viz used to sell the comic books of Pokemon, you know, the chapters as comic books of the Pokemon manga, the Electric Tale of Pikachu or whatever. If you know, you know. And I bought them in a bundle, and they would have ads for other manga in them, including Ranma One Half, which is how I first kind of became knowledgeable that it existed. But so there has been a long-standing just knowledge that there is Rumiko Takahashi out there, especially when Inuyasha came into my public consciousness because of you know Adult Swim, but. I never, I, I don't think I really dabbled into her works too much until the pandemic. And we'll get in that, and I'll talk more about her and Mei Sonikoku and how much I love it in a minute. But first, check-ins. But actually, no, no check-ins. So, if you are a listener to this podcast, then I'm happy. Thank you. Why are you listening to us? I don't know if we're, I don't think we're that great. But it's it's a lot, It's it's so fantastic to have you with us. But if you are a listener to this podcast and you're aware that sometimes when we do our check-ins, they can run for about 30 minutes long for no reason, mostly for the fact that I think Audrey and I like to bant and just fill up time and fluff it up with gaff or whatever you want to call it for so long and talk about every single thing we've done that week, which would be cool if we did anything that was actually fucking interesting, which we unfortunately don't. It usually just boils down to, I played video game, I watched anime, and then I, I think I, I think I had an emotional crisis. And so we are getting rid of all of that and reformatting our check-ins into what I am calling until Audrey tells me that we can't call it, but she agreed on this, so hey, it all works out. We're going to be calling it Big Anime Rad. <laughs> sound effect there or something Craig edit this me setting that out but like yeah play a put a cool sick guitar solo noise right there Craig and all sound good anyways the point of big anime rad is that we normally call the podcast big anime sad because it's otaku melancholy and it just feels like everybody associates us with being sad boys or something because the name was supposed to be aesthetic not sad aesthetic it was supposed to be like an Arizona green tea of refreshing flavor for an anime podcast but who knows? I feel like it, we really are the Arizona green tea of podcasts because we are just straight up just uh, sucrose or glucose or whatever it's in. We're just corn syrup and vibes. That's all this podcast really is, corn syrup and vibes. But yeah, so we uh, we call ourselves, you know, Big Anime Sad, so it's Big Anime Rad. Why am I explaining this fucking joke to you? If you don't get it, you don't get it. Anyways, for Big Anime Rad, we're just going to talk about one thing during the week that really made our week rad cool great doesn't it could be an anime it can be a movie a tv series like a regular tv series it could be a video game it can be just an important life event to us but what it has to be is rad and that's just the point it's just a cut down on time guys i really I, i i love all of you and the support you give us but i'm sure that none of you want to hear us talking about what we've been doing for like 25 minutes although if you did then that would be a Great content for the Patreon, I suppose. Go support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash melancholy if you want to. It would mean a whole lot to me if you did, and you would get your name shouted out at the end of the episode like certain people will. But going back, a big anime is rad for is this going to be what we're doing forward, doing going forward to really just make everything flow seamlessly and give you a better listening experience. Uh, and make it easier on us, too. I don't think anybody likes us just going, um, uh... Um, what, it, what, what am I talking about? I don't know. But, hey, there it is. So, uh, for the for the inaugural Big Anime Rad, my Big Anime Rad for this week is Sonic Frontiers. Now, if you have listened to last week or the previous week's episode, then you'll know that I bought a PS5. I bought a PS5 because uh, my computer, my big chungo of a gaming computer, it's, it's a gaming laptop, why am I lying to you? cannot run Sonic Frontiers on recommended settings, which is a particular sort of hell for me because it can run every single thing under the sun on recommended settings except Sonic Frontiers, which cued me to have some slight despair, but I said, well, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to run the newest Yakuza game either, and that's basically all I'm about. So I ended up buying sonic frontiers and with the playstation 5 and i finally got around to playing it because i originally went for god of war and god of war was going to be my big anime rad until i finally 
got a hold of Sonic Frontiers to play it. And my fucking lord, what an amazing Sonic game. Now, it's not anything revolutionary by any means. I mean, you want to talk about an actual good open world game, you'd go to Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild absolutely kind of dunks on Sonic Frontiers. But Sonic Frontiers is such a fun experience in itself. Just going fast as Sonic, discovering more of the map, doing all that, you know, wild, wacky open world game bullshit is just so much fun. And it is so enjoyable, especially as Sonic. And I hate to say it, but I hate the game the most when I actually go into the cyberspace little realms to play the classic Sonic game, which uh, should probably tell you that I am kind of a shitty Sonic fan because I am so in love with this game and the speed of which it goes that and all the fun that comes with it that I, I just love running through the open world and finding new things, grinding on whales and just finding the pieces of hearts or whatever and doing all the quests and stuff. I'm having so much fun with that and I just don't want to play the actual Sonic game. But it's really a whole lot of fun and the entire week that I've had it, I've just wanted to go home immediately and play it and not do anything else. Even this podcast, I said, I want to play Sonic Frontiers, but podcast, I guess. And so here we are. I am recording the podcast and not playing Sonic Frontiers. So that should really tell you how great of a game it is because I think it's an absolute blast. It makes me feel like a kid again when I first played Sonic 3 on the Genesis at my friend's house because I did not have a Genesis. Uh, My family was strictly Nintendo because that's just the way we were. And so I never got to play it. And finally getting to just, just... It just makes me feel like a kid again. And that's when I know that a game is doing something really well when it makes me feel like I'm in that youthful sort of vigor for video games again. Because sometimes I play video games and I'm just like, man, fuck this. I should just I should just never play video games. Fuck video games. All the homies hate video games. But this game uh, has really done it. So I recommend it if it goes on another super sale. If, it, if it's marked... It'll, it's a Sonic game. It's a Sonic game. I don't live under any illustrious illusion that it won't get marked down to like $10 in a year or two. So just wait for that $10 deal, because if you're not a Sonic fan, I don't know how much you're going to get out of it, because you might think the open world stuff is shitty, because there are sequences where I'm like, holy fuck balls, I cannot grind worth a damn on anything, the camera is my number one enemy, and there are just so many issues. But I'm still having a lot of fun with it, so it's really made my week big anime rad. And that's how I'm going to close this segment every single time for the foreseeable future. Audrey is probably listening to this right now, cringing the fuck out of her, just cringing the fuck out of her face, saying, not only does he do a stupid bit, but he talks about Sonic during it. I fucking hate this man. But that's okay, Audrey. You can hate me all you want because I love you and I think you're great. But uh, anyways, so that was my big anime rad for the week. What was yours, Audrey? You don't have any because you're not here? All right, then I guess we'll just segue into our core topic. But before we do that, a quick break. Hey folks, it's Matt here to talk just a tiny bit about Boomslank. Boomslank is an anime apparel and lifestyle brand that has super unique style and art across their entire lineup of phone cases, posters, hoodies, t-shirts, and stickers. I actually really, really love their stuff, which is why I'm so hyped to talk about them, because you know, I'm an actual fan of theirs and their lead artist, Shinobi P. I have their Mania phone case and their Leo hoodie, and they're both these kind of things that my coworkers who aren't into anime, usually, and my friends who are definitely into anime, actually say something to me about because they both have this kind of spirit and design that you're not really going to see anywhere else in the market as far as anime apparel and those kind of products go. So that being said, I'm super excited to say that if you want to get some Boomslank merch and help support the podcast in the process, you can go to their website, boomslank.com, and use our coupon code at checkout, Otaku Melancholy Podcast, that's all one word, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. Or if you just want to go straight to their website, you can go to the www.boomslank.com slash otaku melancholy podcast to just have that coupon code automatically applied when you go to checkout. So yeah, a huge thanks to Boomslank for reaching out and offering to help and support this podcast because it means so much for, you know, a brand that I actually like and that Audrey and I both really admire to help support us. And just in case you didn't know how to spell that, it's B-O-O-M-S-L-A-N-K dot com. 
and there's even a link to their website with our coupon code in the show notes of whatever platform you're listening to this episode on. Thank you guys for listening to this. Back to the episode. And welcome back. It is so nice to see you once again. And if you do not want to listen to ads or skip through ads, as I generally do when I listen to podcasts, then you can go to patreon.com slash otakumelancholy to get episodes early and without that ad. And that would be really cool because you would also support this podcast. And I would love you the same amount and think you're really cool the same amount, but then I would be able to say your cool name, whatever it was, at the end of this podcast. But hey... That's not the point here. We're not here to shill right now. We're here to talk about Rumiko Takahashi and shill her manga or just, you know, whatever. So, yeah, Rumiko Takahashi, if you don't know, and why wouldn't you know, uh, you you know, you know Rumiko Takahashi, basically. She's basically the first, or I'm going to call her the first lady of manga because really alongside uh, Osamu Tezuka, I always get his name wrong. It's Osamu, right? Look. Jamie, look that up. Uh, yeah, it's Osama Tezuka. I always call him Osama Tezuka, and it's not me being, like, facetious or trying to make a joke about, you know, Osama bin Laden. It's literally my brain is shitty and is wearing out through all these years, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just bad at it. Anyway, so Rumiko Takahashi, she has, she's literally done so many manga that would just be like, the highlight of any other person's career. She started off, her first major work is Urusei Yatsura, which got a uh, a reboot this year. Uh, then she did, while she was actually undertaking uh, Urusei Yatsura, which had an infrequent publishing period, she ended up also starting Meisoni Koku, which is the sub-main point of our uh, topic today. And she finished them both, I think, in the same year of, like, 1987 or something. Uh, yeah, I think it's 1987. Why would I doubt myself? Why am I ever... Why do I ever doubt myself, Matt? You, you were right, Matt. My goodness. Anyways, so she published, kind of worked on both of them alongside. Uh, they both ended the same year, as I just said. And she then, after doing that, she started on Ranma One Half. And when she finished Ranma One Half, she went to Inuyasha. And I know you know what Inuyasha is. And alongside the way, she just ended up doing various short stories that were very infrequently published, like One Pound Gospel. Uh, I think mermaid saga was published in that same sort of period not too sure my memory is a little bit wonky about that but uh one pound gospel is probably the most important one in my humble opinion it's a really fun read about a boxer who struggles with overeating and the nun who kind of helps him and then she did inuyasha which is her longest manga to date it's around 50 volumes i believe it's 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 long it's long and then after that, she followed up with Rene. I, I, as much as I love, uh, as much as I love Rumiko Takahashi, until recently, I had not dabbled with Ranma, and I'd not doubt, and I've not started Rene yet. It just doesn't look like my thing, you know. It just doesn't look like my thing. And now she is currently working on another weekly manga called Mao. And I started Mal. I'm very infrequently with my reading of Mal. It, I, I was actually talking to my roommate in kind of a preamble to this podcast where I said, uh, I do love Rumiko Takahashi's work. There's not a single one that I haven't dabbled in. And to some severe manner, I say severe because all of her works are at least 300 chapters, and to my, me, that's just, that's a, that's a commitment, that's a whole ass wedding band for that manga, you know, so, I, I've dabbled in everything, I'm, and I've only really finished Urusei Yatsura, and Mei Sonikoku, I'm still working on my way through Inuyasha, and I just recently started Rama, but all of her works still delight me with the same sort of energy that she, they just, she just brings a certain energy to all of her works. I I know there is some kind of common criticism across some of her stuff and that uh, it kind of spins its wheels. There's not a whole lot of growth that occurs between characters as fast as certain people would like. And I, I can feel it in some manga more than others. Urusei Yatsura is kind of... You shouldn't even care about that. That is a whole-ass gag manga. Um... Ranma, I'm 40 or so chapters in, and I don't feel like there's been major progression. 
or not at least to what I, uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I haven't read the whole thing, so what am I to say that there's not been major progression, but I think Mei Sonikoku, which is, again, what we'll be talking about, it kind of breaks a little bit of the mold of that. There is a lot of wheel spinning, but not in the way that is uncommon to romance manga, if you catch my drift, or just romance storytelling in anime, Eastern culture, whatever. It, there's a wheel spinning, but the wheel spinning is delightful, or at least Takahashi makes it delightful. But yeah, she's basically, she's done so many works that would just be a major selling point for any other mangaka. I mean, if somebody just made her essay Yatsura and just, you know, clocked out forever, that would be fine. I mean, that's, you know, there's a lot of things that, there's a lot of things that Lum did to, to the, to the, the, the Japanese otaku community. Some would say she kind of was one of the major factors in maybe waifu culture. Depends on what you want to believe. Uh, there's a book, the, the Moe Manifesto, that Jeff from Otaku Host Club turned me on to that I read that kind of wants to contribute alum to one of the big factors of this sort of thing, of this Moe revolution. And hell, they're probably right because she is kind of the perfect waifu. Uh, not wrong. You can fight me if you want to, and you'll probably win because uh, I'm a weak little boy who don't like, I don't like to fight, but I like to run. If you catch my drift... I, there's no drift to be gotten. I'm just talking out of my fucking ass right now at this point. But anyways, Surimiko Takahashi, she's kind of a big deal for manga. She's accumulated hella awards. Um, she's in, she's got a Harvey Award Hall of Fame. She's in the Harvey Awards Hall of Fame, whatever. She's won the Grand Prix de la Vie d'Angelim. No, my French is a little rusty. It's not a little rusty. It's a whole. It is a whole last rusty car by the uh, by the road, but she has just received so many awards for her impact for what impact she has done. And my cat agrees on that. Well, now that that is all over, it turns out that all she wanted was to be noticed that she was in the bathtub. Not that she was damaged or otherwise hungry or thirsty in the bathtub, just that she was in the bathtub. So, you know, there's Nora, our producer, everybody. This podcast is produced by a cat, hence why it's so all over the place. Ah, ha, ha. Anyways, Rumiko Takahashi. She's, uh, again, first lady of manga. Really important. One of them, one of the best, uh, whether you want to admit it or not. And you don't have to admit it. I already did for you. So, yeah. But of all her works that I've experienced, being like half of Inuyasha, all of Irisei Yatsura, and all of Mei Koku, and like 40 chapters of Ranma, and maybe like 30 chapters of Mao, uh, and One Pound Gospel. I already, I always forget that I read One Pound Gospel. It, it's, it's, it's good. I just, it just... When you when you got this ma- manga list, that you just you forget what you've read. My manga list is not even a hundred entries. I am being completely facetious. Facetious. I'm being really sarcastic about this. I've not read that much manga. I'm just very, uh, very forgetful. Anyways, so with all that, I have to say, and this is me boldly stating it with no information or any sort of uh, reason not to declare this, I think Mei Sony Koku is her best work. And I'm going to tell you why I love it, and we can kind of talk about it, and maybe you'll listen, and you'll realize that maybe you want to read it, watch the anime. I don't care. Just do. Do it if you want to, but I, I it doesn't matter anyways. So, a quick synopsis for the uninitiated. What is Mason Koku about? Well, Mason, I think that that means house in French, or is that is that also the same in Japanese? I don't know. Let's look that up real quick. Okay, cool. I was right. It does in fact mean house in French. Wow, I really am rusty as hell with my French to doubt that. So basically, uh, Mason Koku is it's the title. It's the title of the building of the boarding house that everybody, the main characters, reside in. And the main character, of course, being, I say of course, like you know, 
uh, Godai Yusaku and Otanashi Kyoko, who um, Godai is a college student, which is really wicked cool. Or he wants to be a college student at the start of the uh, at the start of the manga. He's uh, what they call a Ronin. Yeah, so he wants to be a college student, but he's got to study, take his uh, take his exams, and hopefully get placed in the college that he wants to do. He wants to do so. He is studying, and he's got a bunch of uh, he's got a bunch of roommates, or basically people who live in the boarding house with him, who he all thinks are royally sh- who are thinks are just like royal shit posters of people like Yosuya, Akemi, uh, Miss Ishinoze, and her son, and. Yeah, so he is. Uh, he doesn't really like them. They're kind of obnoxious and party all the time. And so he finally just says, fuck it, I'm moving the fuck out. And then when he goes to indeed move the fuck out, he finds that they're getting a new, um, she's not a landlord, but she's what, what do they call her? Like a building manager or something like that. A uh, boarding house manager, I think it says. I, th- I think that's what she's called. She's a, basically the manager of the building, Hilt's building manager. And he says, damn, this girl look on and so he says, I think I'll just stay for a little bit and just, you know, kind of, you know, just just help her and, uh, you know, really just teach her about the, the building and all that. I'm so nice. My name is Godai Yusaku. I'm, I'm so charming. But then he uh, does that and she's all like, I'm a widower. And he says, damn, that is some heavy ass emotional baggage. And I don't know how to deal with it. But he still uh, tries to sort of slowly woo her and become you know just become really close with her except he does it because there is another man in the picture uh mitaka coach mitaka who also is aiming to get kyoko's affections and he is far more successful as a tennis coach and has a nice apartment has a nice everything owns a car is overall just better than godai in every single way and is charming humble he's just honestly he's the he's the perfect guy except he i mean he really is the perfect guy the only thing that he doesn't have working for him is he is afraid of dogs which kyoko does in fact own a dog named soichiro who is named after her belated husband so then not only is there that but while godai is also trying to woo and get close to Kyoko, he also has his own sort of romantic interest, uh, Kozue, who is interested in him, who he goes on dates with, and doesn't ever really, he doesn't exactly man up enough to say, hey, I'm interested in this other woman, but how do I do that? How do I tell Kozue, Kozue that I'm interested in this other woman? I don't know, and it's I don't know how to handle this. This is also complicated. I'm Godai again, and I don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm just going to lead this woman on and just have all kinds of romantic hijinks ensue. And, yeah, that's a really cool, like, that's a that's like a love pentagram, right? That's that's how many, that's what that shape is, right? That's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a love parallelogram. But anyway, so, yeah. So that's kind of the romantic drama that deals, that goes on between Godai and Kyoko for the most part. But at the same time, there's a lot of the stuff that kind of goes on between uh, Kozue and her trying to get closer and become uh, more acquainted with Godai. And Godai at the same time trying to prevent Mitaka from getting close to Kyoko and getting more involved in her life. And it's really hard because it turns out that Kyoko as a person is tremendously jealous. And not only is Kyoko tremendously jealous, but she is also astronomically petty and spiteful. And yeah, so anytime Godai does end up going on a date, and remember that this will not be a spoiler cast, there are no spoilers from Sony Koku. Every time that Godai inevitably ends up going on a date with Kozue or ends up getting in, you know, a classic rom-com situation where it looks like he's interested in another woman, then Kyoko immediately sees and gets mad and stops communicating with Godai and being spiteful to him. And it, it works for some really fun romantic tension, but... And this is me. This is one of my honest favorite manga. But it can be kind of become tedious in some aspects because sometimes it kind of becomes 
Godai does something. Kyoko sees it, doesn't talk to him, and then he basically goes on about, like, well, if she wants to be that way, then fine. I don't care. But, in fact, he does actually care, as is tradition. And that can get a little bit tiresome, because that is what some of these little mini-story arcs revolve around. And I said earlier that, uh, you know, that the characters kind of spin their wheels, and Meisoni Koku, uh, it... It doesn't spin his wheels. It's stuck in a little bit of mud, but it's not and drenched in it and absolutely just smothered and covered in like my Waffle House hash brown. <laughs> Sorry. It is not absolutely just soaked in the mud and can't be recovered. And but at the same it, it does have progress. It does indeed have progress as Godai kind of goes. Well, uh, hey, Kozue is being really nice to me. Maybe I should be with her. Maybe I need to stop leading her on. Maybe it's okay if I just get a little bit of frisky with with this girl who's into me. But what if I what if I don't? But what if I just waited for Kyoko? And there's a lot of there's a lot of internal sort of struggles that go with Godai. Godai is not experienced with women, but he knows that Kyoko has been with has been with least with her husband, and so he's kind of just you know you can imagine his mindset that she's more experienced than I am and she knows more about love and more about other things than what am I supposed to do and it kind of becomes a little bit of it, it, it's I mean I can relate to what Godai does for one thing Godai is meant to be kind of a shitheel in a, a few ways but he's supposed to be a lovable shitheel he's not a mean guy by any means but he is definitely kind of in he's just kind of just surrounded by scenarios where he looks like the lesser choice compared to Mitaka, who, who seems perfect in every way. But at the same time, you see that there is a charm to Godai that routinely shows throughout uh, throughout the series. And that's, I think, kind of synonymous a little bit with Rumiko Takahashi's works, because Ataru from Urusei Yatsura is a... Well, he is just absolutely... He is... He is thirstier than a guy who hasn't had a whole glass of water for a whole year and is stuck in the uh, the desert. And but at the same time, there are legitimate moments where you see that he does care about Lum, and he has affections for Lum. And but so you're not like, oh, he's an absolute piece of trash. But Atteru is probably a little bit more heavy swinging to the piece of trash sec- section. So I've she is in the bathtub again. Now that we realize that the cat just wants to be in the bathtub, bathtub and scream about that, then maybe the podcast will be <laughs> over soon because I have blocked the bathtub. So no longer will she be able to scream at me. This has been an absolute, this is a great podcast. Anyways, what was I talking about before this second interruption? Oh yeah. So Ataru is kind of more of just a little bit more on the shitheel swing side of the, uh, the, the scale of shitheadedness that we will see in Rumiko Takahashi's works. Um, meanwhile, you got Inuyasha, who is a, a male tsundere, who absolutely is just, it's not like I like you or anything, Kagome. I, I just, I just happened to be there at the, the right time. And I, so we got to look, uh, that, um, on the sliding scale from Inuyasha, who is just a jerk because he's a tsundere and Ataru, who is a jerk because he is horny, then Godai kind of falls in. Uh, between because Ataru, I mean not Ataru, Godai is kind of a tsundere about his romance, his affections with Kyoko, but it's just because he himself also finds himself getting in spiteful streaks with Kyoko and kind of just, well, if you're going to be that way, then I'll be this way. But at the same time, he's also struggling a little bit with his own sort of natural hormones because he is during the, well, we're not, again, no spoilers. Uh, he is kind of a, uh, lacking on the sexual experience so he wants to see more experience more but one of the core central themes that love is only so much of what makes Mason Ikoku great the other really enjoyable fact is just the other characters this is kind of I wouldn't say it's a found family story but it's a little bit adjacent to it the residents of Mason Ikoku all kind of exist within each other and routinely party and celebrate 
mild accomplishments together. There's this sort of iconic, uh, iconic, just repeating image of Miss Ishinose celebrating with the Japanese fans, you know, the fans, you know, that they pull out and just like wave around. Uh, she routinely does that at any sort of party. Uh, Yotsuya is a moocher, a mysterious moocher, uh, who basically always tries to get free things, free food, takes things of Godai's, and just generally gets in his way. And you've got Akemi, who is kind of a, um, she's kind of just a gossip hound and kind of just wants to just, you know, talk about things and get a, really, she doesn't go out to cause shit. That's Miss Ichinose. She is, Miss Ichinose is uh, an absolute, she's, I love Miss Ichinose. She is just such a, uh, here to, I'm here to fuck shit up and chew bubble gum and, and guess what? I'm allergic to bubble gum. That's literally just what this character does. She's just like this older woman in maybe her thirties or forties. She has a kid who she stays with, who stays with her at the boarding house and her husband who rarely appears, but when he does, it's pretty, he's pretty funny. And he, she just regularly says, Hey, I saw Godai talking to Kozue and they were holding hands. Kyoko, aren't you fucking pissed? And Coco, of course, is indeed fucking pissed. And she then decides that she's not going to talk to Godai anymore. And Ichinoza just goes, oh, those two again. When it's like, you caused the shit to begin with. You know that this woman is going to be mad. But you go over there and you're like, oh, Godai was looking at another woman. And then Kyoko is just, I'm going to be spiteful about that. And it, then Godai is like, I don't understand why people are mad at me. And it just kind of is a little vicious cycle. But it's it's charming and it's fun, and that's only so many of the so much of the story, because these are kind of in the same ballpark of Yurase Yatsura. There is gag gag stories that are just for the sake of you know a, a laugh or a smile, but then there's also stories that legitimately do progress the plot and are relationships in some meaningful manner i actually own a kind of going into a little bit of an aside here i actually own a few copies of mei sony koku and it's not because i'm like a legitimate super fan because i'm not i'm not the guy or persons who post the on the daily mei sony koku um twitter page but i like to think that their work is really important and but I have several versions of Mei Sony Koku. I have a f- single, I think, or I've got some little preview thing that's got a chapter of Mei Sony Koku. But I also have one of the graphic novels. And I say graphic novel because it says Viz graphic novel on it. And it is, uh, is Mei Sony Koku. But it, uh, it does not have but maybe six of the stories. It, it essentially, I think Viz at the time was just publishing the manga, and they were excluding some chapters that were more gaggy. That's a that's an adjective, right? Gaggy. I'm gonna get some water real quick before I continue on with this. All right, so obviously it excludes the gaggy stuff, as I was saying before I took that drink of water. Uh, it excludes gaggy stuff. That's just it did that everybody learned a viable lesson. But that, that first volume ex- excludes a lot of chapters. It seems mainly to focus on the stuff that includes some sort of dramatic twist to it. Which I feel like if you were a reader of manga in the 1990s, whenever this was published, then you might not be so keen on getting just f- what you might see as filler. Or just chapters that don't do anything to progress the actual romantic plot. And that's understandable, and that's why there's such a hesitation for me to recommend Mei Sony Koku, but I'm also going to vehemently recommend it, because it is one of the few romance manga that I was consistently smiling or enjoying myself. And I am a fan of romance storytelling. I, I like cute romances. I like romance stories where there is a little bit of back and forth. We just don't automatically end up together. I like romantic tension and romantic drama, and... That is kind of where Rumiko Takahashi, she does this a lot. Inuyasha, it's constantly, will they, won't they, between Inuyasha and Kagome. We know they will, but why are we pretending that they won't? Same with Urusei Yatsura, that we will, they won't. It's kind of the same vibes I'm getting in Rama 1 half between Rama and Akane. Is that her name? Yeah. Like, we know they will, but we have to pretend they won't or the plot will be over. And that's kind of where 
the realm of Mason Koku kind of exists in, except it's kind of how will we get there, and when we get there, how long will it last? So that's kind of what Mason Koku is going for, and the rom- that sort of romance storytelling... I'm a fan of it to some degree. I constantly bitch about Nisekoi and about how much I didn't like Nisekoi, yet I bought all 25 fucking volumes of Nisekoi. And that's because I wanted to see where Nisekoi went, and I wanted more romantic tension, and I wanted more, more, will I be with Shitose or Onidera? I don't know. But it mostly just ended up being, here's a fuck, here's when we go to the fucking mall and ride the goddamn carnival. And that's not, you know, that doesn't make for entertainment, for me at least. So what are you gonna do? But that was Nis- that was Nisekoi, and again, that was also kind of a shonen harem, so... Maybe this is apples and oranges entirely. I don't know. Actually, I do know. It is a little bit of apples and oranges. But I like the romantic tension, and I like the will they, won't they. And I like, if you're going to do gags, make them fun gags, which is why I can completely forgive Kaguya for some of Kaguya's just straight up just, what are we going to do this week, Miyuki? The same thing we do every week, Kaguya. Pretend like we don't like each other. And that's, you know, that's where Kaguya exists. In some stories, but then, you know, Kaguya actually kind of has a little bit of progression. And that's what I like. And I feel like Mei Koku does the same thing. But here's where Mei Koku really wins me over. It's not about freaking high schoolers, which I feel like is exhausting at this point. I like a good high school romance and a high school story. I think we all, we all went to high school, which, unless we didn't, and if you dropped out, then that's, that's... I'm not here to judge anybody's lifestyle choices. I, I mean, I'm literally talking about anime and manga. Whereas, there's no, there is no reason for me to judge anyone on this podcast. But hey, we all have high school experiences, and I guess it's nice to pretend that we were ja- like we went to high school in Japanese or something, so that they, they, they have a way to appeal to us. But all of us are going to be adults at some point, unless we die when we are young. But uh, I'm just throwing out so many hypotheticals that aren't. Really that fun, huh? I'm just being a bummer today. What if you... We all went to high school unless we unless we dropped out. But we're all going to be adults unless we die early. But fucking dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Anyways, they're adults. Or at least they're young adults. And not the... Not like young adult fiction adults. You know, like 15, 16, whatever. Like people who should probably be paying taxes adults. Those kind of adults. You know what I mean. Yeah, you, you get it. You get it. I, I got that. So that's a refreshing taste for me, and maybe that's why I like it so much. I know there are other uh, there are other manga that are just that are the almost the same. It was actually when I was reading after I finished Mei Koku. I don't remember what the name of it is, but I'm gonna look it up right now. And what is this? What is this manga? It is it's oh. Uh, if I see you in my dreams, or Yume de Aitara, I was reading that, and uh, yeah, it's kind of gave me the same Mei Koku vibes. Uh, it was about adults. It was published in Business Jump. What the fuck is Business Jump? Well, I, I I see a lot of business going on in Business Jump. Oh, it's a lot of adults. Golden Boy was pub Golden Boy's Chapter Two or whatever was published in Golden Jump. All right. Fair enough. I'm willing to admit that there is a market for this. My point being, of course, that there are adults. People, there are stories that about adults and about people who are in love that are older. And that's a fun, that's what we kind of want, you know? That's what I want. And so to get this Mei Koku, which really had sort of the, uh, had some, a lot of fun in it uh, about just trying to go to college. There's actually a chapter two where I really liked uh, where uh, Godai's grandmother, who is kind of a recurring character, goes to live with and we live in Mei Koku for a while. And it's really fun because it plays up that whole, like, you two would be really cute together. Get together already. Damn. And it's cute and it's fun. But it kind of just highlights a little bit of my experiences too, because uh, my family consistently makes me feel that way. 
And so uh, I kind of really feel for Godai in several ways. And I, I, I really just like, I really just think that there's a lot of wholesome gag fun to be had in Mei Koku. And I'm just repeating myself at this point. But stories about adults doing adult things like falling in love, but oh wait, we can't because I'm a divorce, because I'm a widower. That's just a whole lot of fun. At least when it's not played for straight up sadness, you know. But that's that's kind of just where I'm at here. What's kind of where we're at here? That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to stay. So what do I love about Mei Sonikoku besides everything I said? I just really love, a little bit of it is Rumiko Takahashi's art. I've never seen the anime. I know the anime is out there. I will watch it someday. Uh, not today, not tomorrow, and not in a week or two. But someday will I consume a Sony Koku animated, as the good lord Haruhi would want me to. So, I want to get around to it, and it's just such an effort for me to consume manga. Because... Are not consume manga. What the fuck am I saying? Consume anime because that's a concrete amount of time that I have to put out in my day, and I'm always fearful about that. You know, you read a manga, and we've said this over on the podcast before. I consume a manga. I don't know how long a chapter is going to take, but I get to go at my own pace. I get to read panels as I want. But an anime has a lot of direction involved in it, and they always have to be uniform to this 22 minute, 23 minute time slot. So you got you know a minute 30 for intro, minute 30 for outro. So 20 minutes of anime, roughly. And you kind of have to, to shoehorn into that that spot. You got to extend some scenes. You got to shorten some scenes. You got to figure out how to do this whole episode structure. And I'm not a big fan of that in some regards. I, I would like to consume it in a manner like if you could just have an episode a week of the an episode was, you know, like one episode was 10 minutes. Next week, we get another episode. It's. Maybe forty minutes, and know some people will be like, "What the hell is this in, this in just this this mishmash of time slots?" But if it made storytelling more efficient and more to the point of making the story what it should be, instead of just shoehorning it into this pre this this predisposed notion of what anime should and could be as far as time slots, in, then I could probably like it more if you understand what I am saying, but. I'll get to Mei Sony Koku eventually. I mean, I'm currently watching Inuyasha with my uh, with my roommate. We were gonna. T- I was toying around for a while there. I was like, I'm watching so much of Inuyasha. Couldn't we just make this into a podcast or something so I could have <laughs> so I could have content? <laughs> I was gonna call it Inuyasha, and uh, maybe we'll do that someday. My roommate uh, uh, Kiri, she's pretty positive. She's uh, she's a really delightful person. And yeah, she's uh, she is uh, bubbly, energetic, and fun. So maybe someday we'll do that. But I, I just don't know if I can ever get around to just consuming May Sony Coco like that. But if I do, then you'll be guys will be the first to know. Actually, I'll probably be the third to know because I'll probably tell Audrey first, and Audrey will leave me on red. But we'll be there. We'll get there when we get there. But yeah, May Sony Coco is really one of my favorite manga because it does just blend in that unique Rumiko Takahashi uh, art style. And she is an evolving artist. Mao looks nothing like Mei Sonikoku. And Mei Sonikoku uh, only has so many similarities to to, uh, to Rene. But sometimes Kyoko does be looking an awful lot like Kagome, like an older Kagome at some points, which maybe that was deliberate. I don't know. But there, there are some small similarities between characters. I mean, Shinobu from Urusei Yatsura kind of looks like one of the girls from uh, Ranma. But, I mean, it's all cute art. And she does, uh, she of course being Takahashi, she does manage to make fun panels. She, I think she described that what she wanted to do with a lot of her manga was make it so that each page turn was a fun experience for the reader. And I feel like she can do that, or she's capable of it in a lot of her works. And Mason Koku is no exception. But if you don't like stalling out and constant progression being kind of gatekeeped behind, uh, we got to do this gag this week and another gag the next week, then you might not like it. But I think it is it is a classic for a reason as far as her works. 
And as far as everything she does, I think it's it's my favorite. And her art blended with that 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 sort of a semi coming coming of age again story, as well as learning to love again, uh, kind of uh, finding your family and finding uh, that the people around you can enhance your lives in a variety of ways, even if they are your romantic rivals like Coach Mitaka. There, there's a lot to be there. There's a lot there. And going on about it, I kind of did skim over the characters, but I, there's no character in this, uh, in this manga that I dislike, which is something uh, to be said to be said about it. Because in gag manga, manga that kind of are even anime that deals with you know comedic comedic characters and all that, you've always got somebody who isn't going to be that fun but even when there are certain actions that like missy Shinoze does that i think are just like you are the part of the problem or i get annoyed with kyoko for being mad at godai again and having a wonderful delightful miscommunication that ruins everything which is can be an issue i still love the characters and i can see them in their own little world just out there struggling to communicate properly with each other and fall in love like I know they want to. And it's also just a cute story, really and truly. The little the little progress that that uh, Kyoko and Godai make really are what seal the deal for me. It's the little moments where Godai gets a scarf as a present from Kyoko, and he's so ecstatic to get it, and he's so happy, and he's just overjoyed with the prospect that he got something from her, and then he finds out that everybody else got one. Or it's him struggling, and I think it's I think I just like Godai because I relate to him because this is all stuff that I've done, really and truly. Or something where he buys Kyoko a Christmas present in the attempts to woo her and get her something, and then it turns out that he kind of wusses out and goes, "Well, I can't, I can't give that to her. I'm I'm too scared. And what if she doesn't like it?" And he just ends up tossing it, only to find it later and giving it to her. Or some of the other stories where he's just I've got a Kyoko is is cold, but I, I've got a protector, so I'm gonna sleep on top of the covers and just make sure that no one else that she stays warm and it's it's really cute. Their relationship because I think it's the slow progression. The slow progressions are what get me. I, I don't like characters to just drop out of the sky into love. I like slow burns, but maybe not not too slow. There's a there's I like I like romance <laughs> romance roast. I like the roasting of romance. A slow little spit. Oh, God, what the fuck am I saying? I like a spit roast of love, but not the way that it sounds like. You know what I mean. I like it when we just slowly cook the romance. Spit roasting. It just, damn it, my fucking brain is in the absolute gutter. I just like a slow burn of an anime. We just turn the romance over and over, cook it on all sides. Have a nice little crispy tinder romance. And that's what Mei Sonikoku does. The this, this turn of the wheel is slow. But the turn of the wheel is there. And that's what makes all the difference. Is that it's not like Nisekoi where the wheel gets jammed. And then we're going, oh god, the wheel's not spinning. The fuck, the roast is burning alive. God, no one is never going to be eat, ag- eat again. But it's still, you know, it's it, it, Mei Sonikoku doesn't do that. It's a slow... But, but fun burn. It's like you hear the grease crackling, crackling, crackling on that meat. And you know you're in for a good meaty time. What the fuck am I saying? And you're in for a good meaty time and you're ready for it. You're ready to just have all those meaty juices in your mouth and all that. And that's kind of what Mason Koku does for me. I really recommend it to you, the listener. I, 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 we don't. Do we condone piracy on this podcast? Not entirely, but kind of. I think you should sample it. Use your your manga reader of choice. Maybe find out if this is something you could tolerate for 150 chapters. If you can kind of just accept that you might not be getting the speed that you want. Or maybe you could just check out the anime. If anime is the only way that you want to go. Uh... But it is, you know, it is kind of the story of a... It's a story of a loser who fell in love with a pretty girl and how he's slowly trying to win her over. And it's a classic story, and it's a whole lot of fun to me. And the weird romance parallelogram, de- duodecahedron, whatever you want to call it, duodecahedron, whatever. It's, it's, it's a fun... It's fun. 
and uh, I love it. I feel like I've just been praising it over and over, but I feel like you should definitely give Maison Koku a chance. Read a few chapters, see if you want to get into it. If you don't, I'm not going to hate you. I might a little bit cry, but who? it doesn't matter. I cry all the time. But hopefully you will get something and out of it, I guess, or you'll just waste your time. At the end of the day, that's all this is about, wasting time until we die. But up, up. <laughs> no, but for real, I hope you guys will at least give it a chance. Or at least maybe you'll try some of her Rumiko Takahashi's work. It's not like I've talked about her too much or too in-depth, but she does have a lot of stuff out there. Uh, Urusei Yatsura is still, it's currently uh, airing, the remake, and that's... It's, I, I love it, but I love Lum, so I'm going to ignore any sort of fallacies that the show has. Uh, Inuyasha, like, you watch Inuyasha, I guess. I mean, like, who doesn't watch Inuyasha? Inuyasha's fun. Inuyasha's great. All right, you know, Ranma one half. I'm reading that. You can read it along with me. We can both be reading. And I mean, at the age of 65, for Rumiko Takahashi to just keep churning out more and more quality works, I mean, it's just inevitable for Mal gets an anime adaptation in like a few years or so whenever it gets enough chapters and uh it'll be um i'm sure it'll i'm sure it'll pop off just as much as the uh, her other works but uh it'll get there when it gets there but at 65 she's to just put out that much manga and for it all to be kind of um within at least some sort of consciousness within the uh, otaku we whatever uh sort of mindset sort of have that uh, to have that popularity it, that's really something that's that's a really successful career and her I think her I th- her legacy is just never ending she's a uh, she's wicked fucking cool so that's all I guess I can really say to summarize that she's wicked fucking cool and if you want to learn more about Rumiko Takahashi then I would highly advise and this will be in the show notes because that's what matters uh this that's how we, uh, that's, that's, that'll make everything work out really well. But if you really want to learn more about Rumiko Takahashi and all of her other works, you can go to this website, www.foodinkan.com. That's F-U-R-I-N-K-A-N.com. I've also will include the link to the website in the show notes. And she has, they have a lot of sources. They do a lot of reviews. They publish a lot of their reviews uh of or if you're not reviews will publish a lot of the interviews she does or people do interviews about her works and it's a really great way to learn more if you want to or just get insights into other things or just if if you want to see if you just want to see more and they also have a youtube channel too so there's a lot there's a lot to uh there's a lot you could get into i mean they even they they even have a YouTube channel where they talk about the Urusei Yatsura handheld game, like the Tiger Electronics, Bandai Electronics handheld game. So they, they go they go hard and deep into this. So yeah, go check that out if you want to and you want to learn more. I will be thrilled regardless of what you do. I'm just happy to talk to you. And hopefully this little, this is going to be a mini episode. There's no way this is going to be longer than an hour, but Thank you guys for joining me regardless for this little mini episode. Hopefully we'll get back on track and produce more sort of scriptedly prepared content in the future. But if we don't, then I'll still always try to be out here every single Sunday to talk to you fine folks about anime, manga, otaku culture, all of that. But uh, thank you for listening. And we have been the Otaku Melancholy Podcast. You can go to otakumelancholy.com to see all of our episodes, past, present, and future, as well as all the links to our social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can even join the Discord to hang out and talk with us. We'd really appreciate that and love to have you. And it's just a cool place to hang out and just vibe, I guess, or see some shit posts. Doesn't matter to me. It all goes down in the Discord server. And hopefully you'll join. But if you don't, hey, you're still a great person to listen to us. And speaking of some great persons to listen to us, I'd like to thank our patrons for supporting us. This includes... I gotta bold our name up as per fucking usual. That includes Cream Puff Coon, Jalvin, Anime of the Week, Darth Egg, Ikea Plant, Moe Soda, and... 
Chris S. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. It means so, so much. And if you want to support us too, you can go to patreon.com slash otaku melancholy and donate for as little as $3 a month to get ad-free episodes, episodes early, even if that early is just five minutes, as well as super secret bonus content episodes and a super secret uh, bonus uh, channel in the Discord server. I really just stumbled all over that words. And if you don't want to support us in that way, there's also always the ads that we run that uh, you can to go visit them and buy stuff, do stuff, and that also goes to help support the podcast, and that means a lot too. But uh, speaking of someone who uh, had to support themselves with a, a nine-to-five job, uh, today's quote comes from Dolly Parton. As she once said, if you don't like the anime you're walking, start paving another one. The powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Anyways, that is show. Thank you guys again for joining us. Bye-bye, take care, and gambate. Working nine to five. There's no way to make a living. The ball man with the bed. We jumped on the bar there. Probably do let it.